Today's reading is Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have all already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligence, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil, evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, we're speaking of death this morning. It's always a hot topic. Um, Not many of us like to talk about death uh, for good reason, um, because it makes us feel a little uncomfortable, right? Um, We don't like to number our days. We don't like to think about, well... There is this impending day hanging over me. But the reality is um, that that's true, right? There, there is this day for all of us. And as we've said, you know, many times, and we've had to mention it many times because the author here, Solomon the preacher, mentions it many times that everyone dies. It's just, it's just life, Right? Everyone meets their end. And so what do we do with that? How do we as Christians handle that? How, you know, where do we go with it? How do, do, are we, is that good? Is it bad? Is that just? Is it unjust? Is it loving? Is it hateful? Is it, and, and where do we find our place within that, within all the other opinions in the world regarding what we do with our time that we have here? Because we all know that life is short, in that we are to number our days, um, but then in numbering, what do we do with those numbers, right? 
And so the preacher here gives us some good perspective, um, and um, and we're going we're gonna to look at that. I'm not old by any means, right? <laughs> um, but I am old enough to notice a few things about myself these days. Um, and, you know, when you wake up in the morning and the first thing that you feel like you have to do is stretch, you know that you've crossed over into another era of life. Um, like, I wake up so just tight, like Ryan, like, uh, she knows, my wife, um, and I don't remember that ever happening before, um, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is this, if there's nothing else that's true, it's this, that I am closer to the grave right now than I was when I woke up this morning, right? It's just true, and there, we, we see it, we feel it even at times, and as you get older, you certainly feel it. Kids, you got it so great right now, man. You can just do whatever you want. You don't pay for it, man. I, I used to be able to just, you know, um, jump off anything, climb anything, and hurt myself. And then that was it. It was like a momentary fleeting, um, you know, moment. But now that lasts for days, any kind of pain that I have. Um, can't imagine how Craig feels over there. <laughs> Um, just joking. We were joking this morning about that. Um, so here, I want to, we're, we're going to break this down in two parts, as I already mentioned. And, um, we're going to just look at verses one through six first, and then Pastor Ryan's going to come up and he's going to walk us through seven through 12. And so if you would, uh, look with me at verses one and two to begin with chapter nine, all this I laid to heart. So remember, context here, Solomon has been speaking about um, uh, really just the way the world works, Um, whether you're wise or you're unwise, whether you're good or you're evil, there seems to be just um, all of this, um, you know, everyone's kind of getting the same thing. He's continuing with the same type of theme. And he says, I've laid this all to heart, examining at all how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Okay? Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good, um, as the good one is... So is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So the preacher seems to have, as he said, laid it all to heart. He's considered it all. So he's done this. He's considered this life. He's considered his death. He's considered his number days here on earth. He's taken it all to heart. If we are to consider it, how often, to what degree, how should we see it? Does our consideration of death influence the Christian's life at all? All that exists and has life has its mortality and even its futility. That's what Paul. That's what Solomon's pointing out to us. Everything. Everything. But here's a difference here, and Solomon offers us some good insight. But from his vantage point, from his perspective. He's seeing everything, and he uses this phrase over and over again, under the sun, right? 
under the sun, under the sun. This is, this is everything I see. This is, I've seen it all. I've gained it all. I've had it all. I've, I've participated in it all. And, and I've, I've been around long enough to see everything there is to see under the sun, under the sun. But here, Christians, church, I want to propose this, that we are not to see just under the sun, but S-U-N, but through the sun, S-O-N. We are to be able to see everything that happens in life, not just under the sun, but through the Son, Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. Aren't you grateful to be alive on this side of the cross? To be alive on, in, in this point in history? To have a lens to see the tragedies and the, the things that, are just, that seem awful and wrong in our life with more detail? with more clarity than Solomon or anyone at his time could have seen them. That's what you and I have today. We have the lens of the gospel. We have Christ. Without the lens of the cross, this life has no true meaning. And yes, there are a lot of meanings to life. I mean, you can ask any one person, in the world, and they'll give you an answer of what life is all about. What's most important in life? Why do we do the things that we ought to do? There are a lot of good reasons to get up and go to work and have a family and enjoy your family and to do good things in this world, but they are all lesser meanings than a true meaning that is presented to us, given to us in the gospel. And that's what I want to give to us today. That's what I believe Solomon's putting forward to, this, to us, whether he knows it or not. Because Solomon looked around and he saw that everyone's getting the same thing, right? The good receive evil, the evil receive good. And have you ever looked around the world and just been like, man, this is so unfair. This is so unjust. I believe Solomon, he saw meaning but he could not see the full picture that we have today. He did know meaning, but he could not see the full reality of that meaning the way that we could see it today. He said, I believe in this all-powerful, this sovereign creator, God, but who could know if he's loving or not? I mean, that's essentially what he's saying in verse 1. All are before man. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Who, who could know whether these things that happen is God's love or is this God's hate towards you? I mean, he is sovereign. No one can, can control him. No one can know his ways. He mentioned that in the verses previously. And now he's like, he's got to be real. There's no denying that. But who could know if he's loving Church, you cannot measure the love of God by what happens all around you in life. You can only measure the love of God by what Christ has done for you. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is how you know and measure the love of God. 
So lay it all to heart, church. Store it all up. Consider it all. Take all the time you need to ponder your days and moments and and your momentary life here on earth. Consider it all. Lay it to heart. Consider your days and how momentary they are. Do it because it is God's gift to you to remind you that you have boundaries. That you are not infinite as he is. You have boundaries. But he has none. Not even death itself is what Romans tells us here. Not even death itself is a boundary for God's love for you. And he has shown that to you fully in Christ. So the first one is lay it to heart, as Solomon has said. And the second one that we're going to see here, the second point I want to make is surrender it all to God. Verses 3 through 6, read it with me. Verses 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Sounds like Solomon's kind of has like a fatalist mentality, right? Um, But he's showing us some really true and real things here. First thing is this, that the evil we experience in the world, such as death, is a result of man's sin against God. The reason we experience death in the first place, we have to remember, is because we sinned against God. That was the penalty for sin. Death. And all men die because, as he says here, all men are evil. Solomon knew full well that God was not to blame for the evil in this world. If there's one thing that he was not going to to do and say is that God was to blame for this. No, no. Man is to blame for the evil that is in the world. Man is to blame for his own death. So when the world says, and how can your God allow such tragedies? You respond with, it was never meant to be this way. It was never supposed to be this way. But sin ruined what God's initial plan was and that we would live with him forever. There may be some of you here that that feel very deeply about brokenness in the world. And I applaud you for that. Because you're thinking clearly. You're thinking deeply about the human condition. You haven't been so intertwined with the world that you've believed a lie, but you can see clearly that our condition is, is bad. The, the human condition is really bad. That we're sinful. That we're not as good as we really think we are. But what you haven't thought deeply enough about is the answer to this condition, and that is Jesus. So I applaud you, and then I point you to Jesus. Good. Think about the condition Think about why we're in this state. Think about your days. Think about your death even. 
But don't forget that Christ has an answer, that God has an answer to death in Christ. This is what David Guzik says. He says this after um, speaking on this passage. He says, oh, we know that there is a world beyond and that there is a judgment seat of Christ by which every one of us will give an, um, give an account. We know that there is a separation of the sheep and the goats. We know that there is an eternal king and there is a choice of eternal destinies. Not only does this make life more meaningful, it makes everything in life more meaningful. But more on that in the next part. So if this is true, if we do have meaning in life because of what Christ has done for us, then this is what we can say. Like Paul says to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.23, for to me is to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've heard that passage, right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But then hear what he says. If I am to live in the flesh, that means, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful work for me. That's what he has in this life. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, right? It's like Paul's like, man, I'm just at a dilemma here. Do I just, I just want to go home to be with Jesus. But yet he's called me to something really good here. It is fruitful and purposeful and meaningful that I'm here on this earth. I am hard pressed between the two, he says. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. How many of you have a perspective of like that? My son asked me, uh, it was last week, he, he, he's, he's been, um, is Desmond in here? No, he's not hanging. Um, he's been really on this kick of, of death recently. Um, and... Uh, um, but he's just asking questions, you know? He's at that age where he's really learning that um, death is final, right? Like there's, there's no coming back from it. And so that's kind of hitting home and he's asking a lot of questions, but he's also, we've talked a lot about, you know, what happens after death. Um, and so he asked me, he said, daddy, do you want to die? I was like, um, no. And I said, why do you ask? And he's like, well, don't you want to see Jesus? I said, well, I do. I do want to see Jesus. And I had to sit there and think for a second, okay, how do I answer this um, for a five-year-old to understand? Um, and I just told him, I said, buddy, seeing Jesus is going to be the greatest thing that ever happens to you and me. But he has given us so much good in this world. And when it's our time to go, that's for him to decide. But I love being here. I love you, I love mommy, I love Elliot, and I just want to spend all the time that I have to be with you guys because he's given us so much to love here. And he's like, okay, you know. Um, and another, th- another thing he, he mentioned to me was like, and it was so good, and he, he probably got it from me, I don't know. But um, he, somewhere he heard that... Uh, we were talking about death, and he said, yeah, but Jesus beat death. I was like, yeah, he did. That's right. He beat death, you know? And that's the reason we get to be with him. The point is this. Because you have the best possible outcome, church, you have the best possible outcome. 
out of any possible possibilities that's ahead of you after death. You have the best possible reason to make every second count while you're alive. Because of what's ahead of you in, in eternity influences why you do what you do here in this time now. You have the best possible outcome, and so you have the best possible reason to make every second count. If there is no hope in Christ, then yes, make the most of your time here. Die because this is all you got. Make the, make the most of your time. Just do it. And that's exactly what Solomon's saying in verse 5 and 6. He's like, look, it's, like it's better to be alive than dead. Better a living dog than a dead lying. So, you know, live. Live. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. 1 Corinthians 15.32. Let's just live it up. But Jesus beat death. And death is not the final word. There is an eternity to come. There is a living hope. And so here's where we, we finish out. Unknowingly, I believe Solomon gives us a, a future, a gospel, a gospel foreshadowing, right? That he, before the cross, could have no way of knowing or seeing or understanding how God would move by sending his own son in the way that he did. But yet, he says these words here in verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. Yeah, I know what he's talking about there. He's talking about physical living. But I believe unknowingly, he's given us a gospel foreshadowing of life in Christ. The vanity of life is countered by a living hope in Christ. So he speaks of a living that is not yet realized, but it is to come, and we have realized here in our day today. And it's what 1 Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me quickly as we close. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. And we'll read a few verses here. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You hear those words? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, church, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Verse 8, and we can finish here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Mm, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We long to see you. Though you have not seen him, you love him. There's something in all of us church that loves him. Because he's loved us. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're going to move now into a song. And we respond to God through this. Um, This song declares that a day is coming soon when all these realities of our lives are met with the truest reality of Christ's return. It'll be one culmination of glory as we're passing from glory to glory. And we'll see Jesus face to face. So as we sing this, I'm gonna ask you to respond in two ways. We lay everything to heart. Lay it all to heart. Count, count up your days. Count up, number them up today. Lay it all to heart. What are you wearing today? What are you worrying about? What are you excited about? And the second thing is surrender it to God. Ask him to use it, to change you, to glorify him in your life. Let's stand together. Just where you're at. And just tell Jesus you love him. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. You have shown us the way, Lord. You've shown us the way to follow you. And Lord, we want to follow you. We want to store it all up, Lord. We want to understand. We don't want to be just passer buyers of this life, Lord, but we want to number our days. We want to be diligent with our hours. We want to learn what it means to love you in the midst of all this. Lord, teach us, show us. God, we surrender it all to you. So when we come to talk about death, I want to acknowledge something that's obvious to us all, and that is that death is just sad, isn't it? It's really sad. And I think if we can let that settle for a minute and to say that when we talk about it, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel grief. If your mind starts to wander towards loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord, or maybe have not gone to be with the Lord, to understand the sadness that surrounds that and to live in the sadness that surrounds that. It's okay. Because there's more of this for us. In fact, one of the reasons why the Bible talks so much about death, if you've noticed the world doesn't, it may seem like it does, but it doesn't in a personal sense. The Bible gets personal with us about death. One of the reasons why it does that is because it has to teach us how to live through death and even how to die. This week I was praying for a pastor friend of mine in his church because this young woman wrote on her Facebook page a prayer request for everyone to pray for her that none of us would like to write. And then later words, she updated this request and she said this. She said, we had four blissful years. Thank you for the growing pains, for the love 
the sacrifice and care. Thank you for our beautiful daughters and this one on the way. I didn't get the chance to talk to you about my name ideas before you went to be with Jesus. We never got to talk one more time. We'll always remember you and love you. My first love, I'll see you in heaven one day. It's sad. A man named Andrew Sullivan, her husband, was killed in a freak plane accident. He was a missionary. He was a pilot that went to the hard-to-reach places of Guatemala. This was just this past weekend. Went to the hard-to-reach places of Guatemala to take mission teams there to do building projects and serve in orphanages and to tell of people the name of Jesus at 28 years old. He suffered severe burns and died post the accident because of the trauma he'd faced. Josiah had said earlier that if we're going to look at death the right way, we cannot see it under the sun, but we have to see it through the sun. Through the sun requires eyes of faith, believing what we cannot see. Through the Son requires eyes of faith that look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who showed us how to die so that we might live. That's through the Son, eyes of faith. And and that Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There will be one day when we will say those words passed away, but we won't be talking about people. We'll talk about the former things have passed away. They've gone. They are no longer there, and every tear from every eye and every pain, and as Sally Lloyd-Jones says it in her Jesus Storybook Bible, every sad thing will come untrue. You don't see it now, do you? Eyes of faith through the sun calls us to look and to see the unseen. Verse 11, again I saw that under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. uh, Speed To the swift, speed will win races, but it won't cause, it won't help you run further from death. It'll cause you to get someplace fast, but you almost might die while you're running there. At least when I run, that's my experience. I don't know if it is yours as well. Uh, Power will build armies. It'll build strength. It'll build stamina, but it cannot stop the breath that God has given you from leaving your body. Wisdom and knowledge bring enrichment to your life, but it does not teach you how to cheat what is inevitable. It does not teach you how to avoid death. Solomon says time and chance happens to them all. If we can acknowledge the obvious about death, this feels uncomfortable because death feels uncomfortable. Death feels unnatural. And so our tendency in being here today is one of three things, I believe. One is when it comes to death, we can avoid it, pretend it doesn't exist, 
spend all our time on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and just pretend like this world just keeps on going and that tomorrow is always going to be there. And so we pretend and avoid what is inevitable and coming towards us or we fear it. We so fear it that it causes us to avoid everything that could possibly kill us. Author and pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, you know, we read about a a bombing in a bus, and if a bombing happens in a bus, we come to the conclusion that we're just going to stop riding in buses, and then we die in a car accident. We can't avoid it. So we fear it, and so we try to do the thing that we think is going to save us, and we overthink death to our detriment because we live in constant anxiety, fear, and depression avoiding that which will happen. But eyes of faith, friends, eyes of faith tells us that there's a third way and that's that we can face it. We can face death. A friend of mine, he's a pastor in Australia, actually preached for us uh, last year, last October. His name's Dave Myers. He, he said one time, he said, if I were to summarize the Bible in three words, God's word to you, here's what it would be. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. That's what eyes of faith does. It keeps trusting Jesus. It doesn't avoid death. It doesn't fear death, but it faces death by continuing to trust, continuing to hope, to continue to believe that Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of your life. And so that third option of facing it isn't how am I going to deal with it, but looking to how he has dealt with it for us. And that's why a a, a pastor, his name is Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, he, he says, the sight of the funeral is a very healthful thing for the soul. Solomon said earlier, it better to be in the house of mourning than the house of amusement or laughter. Because it's in these times of seeing and contemplating death that we have the opportunity. We really do have the opportunity to look at our own and learn how to live. You're not going to get that in a comedy club. You're not going to get that at a night at Texas Day Brazil. And although those things sound really good and those things are good for us to be a part of, but if we're drowning ourselves in that, then we're not doing what's healthy or helpful for our soul is looking at what lets us live better, what allows us to live better. We're called to live today through the sun with humility because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Humility is important because humility recognizes that my life is in the hands of God. Can you just say that with me? My life is in the hands of God. That's what humility recognizes. I don't control my life. And this is true for every single person, no matter how much money, no matter how much power, no, how, no matter how healthy they may be, their lives are in the hands of God. Just like the school of fish that's swimming in the ocean. Just like the bird that's caught in the, the trap. When we were out on the beach the other day, I found it fascinating. We were walking along the rock lines in Captiva. Captiva Island's beautiful. I want to move there. Um, it's just way too, like, I'd have to live in a tent. Um, anyway, um, but beautiful place, and so uh, noceums would avoid, I, I can't deal with the noceums. Um, all right, neither here nor there. If you don't know what noceums are, you're from Indiana, just look them up. Um, so, um, 
But uh, we, um, we were walking along, along the rock line, and, and all these schools of fish are coming around, and they're just swimming innocently and jolly and having a great time. And there's fishermen that have the cast net, and they throw the cast net and, and into this school of fish. They all divide out, but five of them get caught, and they're th- put in the bucket. Or the school of fish are swimming around, and then another pod of stingrays comes swimming by. And it was really neat seeing a pod of stingrays. I told the kids, and they're like, what? And they jump up. Um, all right, sorry. Didn't mean to act out that too much. Um, but you see this happen, and you see that, man, we're just as vulnerable as they are. We're just as many as they are. We're just as vulnerable as they are. And just like them, it's true of us, our lives are in the hands of God. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Time and chance happens to us all. And so humility says, I bow my knee before the creator of the universe and says, my life is in your hands and I belong to you. My life is in your hands and I belong to you. This is why the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I could see the psalmist as he's pinning these words and he's coming up with the complexities of life and he doesn't know what's next. And so he looks to the heavens and his arms are outstretched and he says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we might live well. So we might live well. You've heard of YOLO, right? You only live once. It was like, you know, a couple years ago. Now that's old school. It's true though. You only live once. But the call is to make it count. Make it count. See, sometimes we, we, we just think you only live once, so let's just suck all the life out of life. Let's just drink it all up so we get everything that we can out of it because, you know, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's what actually, you know, Solomon gives that advice. You should do that. But not do it in such a way that it's for you but do it in such a way that enjoys God with eyes of faith through the sun. God calls us to enjoy life. He's not some cosmic killjoy waiting for us to make a mistake and pushes a button and then we're done for. God wants us to enjoy his good creation the way he made it. And he's wired us for that. And Solomon gives us these words in 9-7. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. There's these beautiful times in life where you have a dinner table. And this dinner table is filled with food and drink and fun. I don't care if it's hot dogs and mac and cheese. It's not about what you're eating. It's about who you're eating with. It's about enjoying the people that are around your life. And that's what we're called to do is enjoy our lot, the place and the people that God has called us to, not to forsake it, not to abandon it, but to press into it. I want to offer a word of caution that Solomon didn't know about 3,000 years ago when he wrote this, is that there was no iPhone back then. I think he would say, put your phone away to me. It's not just me preaching to you, it's me preaching to me. We're so distracted by these devices and our fake friends that we neglect our real family and our real friends that are right in front of us. Because we want and we can't enjoy what's in front of us because God says, this is your lot. Enjoy it. Don't be looking to your left and your right for satisfaction. I've put them there. Enjoy them. 
Enjoy what I've given you. Enjoy the good earth that I've made for you. Verse 8, let your garments be always white. Let not the oil be lacking on your head. This garments of white represents purity, represents righteousness, represents joy. This is why a bride is dressed in white as she's presented to her husband because those things are the things that we pray for for that marriage to experience purity, joy, and righteousness. That God's hand of favor and blessing would be upon them. The oil on the head represents vitality. It represents fullness. represents beauty. That we should pursue these things. And then Solomon says, Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. (laughs) You like how he says that? Your vain life. Enjoy the wife that you love all the days of your vain life. Enjoy these foretastes of heaven. Good food and good drink is going to be a part of our heavenly celebration. People that are around us are going to be a part of our heavenly celebration. In fact, marriage itself, although we will not have the same experience of marriage that we have on earth, we know that the marriage that God has given us on earth, whether you're married or unmarried, it's a picture. And the picture is one of perfect love, perfect harmony, and perfect peace. It's given to us in an imperfect way. And so Solomon gives advice to the men, and this is also advice to the women, love your spouse. Love the person that God has put in your life that he's called you to do life with. Do not neglect them. Enjoy them. They're a gift that I've given to you. Philip Graham Ryken says, These joys are not just for husbands and wives, but for all the children of God. One day love will be our portion. Joy will be our crown, our heads. Joy, I'm sorry, joy will crown our heads, and we will rest with Jesus in the heart of God our God forever. When we receive these pleasures in heaven, we, re- we will realize that we first experienced them here on earth. Every earthly joy is a foretaste of a better life to come in the paradise where God has promised us forevermore. So don't despise life. When Solomon says that it's a vain life, he just means it's fleeting. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's a vapor's breath. One day you're going to be here. The next day you're not. So live right now for what matters most. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to to where you are going. Sheol is the place of the dead. Under the sun, it doesn't consider eternity. It doesn't consider um, heaven or hell. It's just simply where people go when they die. It's not even really a place. There's no emotions there. There's no love. There's no hate. There's no feelings. There's no ability to give forgiveness or receive forgiveness. There's no ability to undo what has been done. And so he's saying, while you have breath in your lungs, do those things now. And do it with all your might. Work hard. The job that God's given you, the people that God has around you, don't waste it on trivialities. But give it away. So rather than sucking all the life out of life, we live our life for the enjoyment of God and for the good of others. 
that we would live our life in such a way that says, I am going to live with no regrets. And my no regrets isn't checking off Hawaii on my bucket list. It's making sure that I am being responsible and I'm caring for the people that are around me. And if I go to Hawaii, I go to Hawaii. That's great. I'm going to have fun. But I'm going to make sure that I make the main thing the main thing. And everything falls under that eyes of faith through the sun. For God has already approved of what you do. Matt Chandler says, your approval before God is woven into the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's a scary thing to think that, man, you and I have an appointment. It's a standing appointment. We don't know when it is. We don't know that time, but it's an appointment. And the appointment is before the judgment seat of God. What author and pastor Matt Chandler says is that our approval before God has already been settled in this one act, the act of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. So you don't have to avoid it. You don't have to fear it. But you can face it with faith. Eyes of faith looking to the cross. Do you need help with that? I need help with that. Because even faith is a gift. And I ask that you stand so we ask God to give us more. Father, we ask for you to give generously. Eyes of faith. Eyes that see, ears that hear. God, help us in our unbelief. Lord, to the person right now who may be, may be struggling with death because it's so real. It's, it's real because someone has died in their family or a good friend. Or maybe it's so real because they're afraid of it, Lord. God, give them eyes of faith today. God, to the, to the person, Lord, who's avoided it, drowned it out with clutter, God, help them turn to you with eyes of faith today and show them that they don't have to avoid the inevitable, but, but God, they can live forever through you. Because, Lord, we know that only in Jesus is heaven tasted. And God, outside of Christ, all will only see death. And we know that death is not just the end of things, but death is really the beginning of your wrath, your unforgiveness, and your fury. And so eyes of faith look to you because we know that through your work on the cross, we have approval, we have acceptance. That through Jesus, we've defeated the great enemy and we can call you our God. And we need you in Jesus' name. Church says together, amen.